Hey everyone. Welcome to the McNuttiest Dimension. I'm Chris McNutt. Thanks for stopping by in a place where we can... Let's make ease the priority for the next hour or so. Let's leave efforting behind for a while and the... Oh, the main operating system of the third dimensional ego mind. Let's just try something different. Give it a whirl. Just embrace the compass of ease in your life for the next hour. Anyways, there's nothing you need to do. Just kick back. McNuttiest Dimension is here for you. The McNuttiest Dimension embraces all forms of reality as we will find out in this episode we embrace ordinary and non-ordinary reality i'm not sure that there's just two categories ordinary and non-ordinary to put reality in but you know as some say all concepts are wrong some of them are useful as we explore that in this episode with uh, my guest Gay Hansen, blue flowing water woman, a shamanistic practitioner for the last 25 years, a teacher and a journeyer of the non-ordinary realms of reality. So it seems like when you're getting into the shamanistic side of things, you got the categories of ordinary reality. What the hell's that? It's kind of what we're doing every day. Or it's that place where we've locked into a little bit. I mean, you have to lock in somewhere. It doesn't matter what dimension you were born into. The whole point is to be there and to sort of lock in. So this dimension that we call third dimensional humanness on planet Earth that we have been no doubt born into, we are locked into it. We're checking it out. And that is a good place to be. There's nothing wrong with it, despite all the spiritual lineages and practices out there that encourage, you know, escape, you know, even you go classic Buddhist and it's like, we have to liberate ourselves from the wheel of samsara. This is the realm of suffering. This is not a good place to be. We have to evolve. And now there's all this talk about ascension and we have to ascend. Humans are leaving third density behind and we're going into fourth density. All that talk. And on the other hand, this is where we are. It's a good place to be. No matter where you are, it's limited. You don't experience everything, despite the fact it's a holographic universe and we have the potential to tap into any part of it at any time. We are multidimensional beings, but the fact is, you know, we choose to lock into normality, what, how we experience this realm with our senses, with all that this place encompasses that we know so well, which leads to the exercise of exploring non-ordinary reality, which is what so many of the practices that are going on now and since the dawn of time, uh, plant medicine is as old as the hills, as are all the other practices, meditation, breath work, that takes us into 
what we would call non-ordinary reality. It's different because we're multidimensional. We can tap into all kinds of different dimensions. In the field of shamanistic practice and diving into non-ordinary reality through journeying and through ceremony is one of the ways, one of the access points that you can leave this dimension of quote-unquote normality, ordinary reality into the non-ordinary zone. And I think what we discover is that what we call ordinary reality is this paper-thin sliver of possibilities within the infinite dimensions of the universe in which we reside. It's a wicked-ass wonderful place where we are, but it is limited. And so venturing forth into these other zones of consciousness, we get so much more information we, it expands our consciousness and our knowledge and of our understanding of this trip that we're on, and it can be most valuable indeed. So for a little bit more of an exploration into the world of shamanistic journeying and ceremony and practice, let's welcome to the Magnetius Dimension, Gay Hansen, Blue Flowing Water Woman. Welcome, gay, Hanson shamanic practitioner. Is that how you describe yourself to friends and family? Yes. And what does that entail? What would be a description of shamanic practitioner as opposed to shaman? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I use the same title as my teacher did. And my teacher is Manfred Lucas, uh, who is a German man from Alberta. And how he differentiated it, and I totally agree, is that the shamanic practitioner is someone who uses shamanic practice and principles for healing and growth and development. And uh, the title shaman is protected for people and reserved for people who have completed a culturally based apprenticeship. And so that would be someone uh, from an Indigenous uh, frame of reference in Canada or internationally that uh, have studied, been an apprentice, uh, and has become a Cree or Blackfoot or Peruvian Indigenous uh, shaman. And so I see it. I'm a registered nurse as well, and I see the the, the title shaman to be a protected title, like the title of um, of, uh, of registered nurse. Okay. Now, what differentiates shamanic practice from the other spiritual practices? There's Mm -hmm. so many out there, lineages and things that people do. So how would you describe, yeah, the practice of doing things shamanically? Uh, So I think one of the principles is a deep connection with nature and the natural world. 
And so that's all of the elements. It's all of the aspects of nature. And one of the features is uh, inviting power animals, birds or fish in as character or as helpers into our day-to-day life. And uh, you look around my healing room and you notice lots of black bear and uh, that's my character power animal. I've also have others that are helper power animals and there are spirit guides as well. And, uh, and also elements and plants and trees that we work with. So very deeply rooted in, in nature and it's energy medicine. And so there are lots of other different disciplines that are, that work with energy and this the particular practice uses uh, shamanic journeying which is aided by drumming and it's a repetitive sort of fetal heart rate uh, um, uh, sort of speed of drumming that's used to go from ordinary to non-ordinary reality to enter this parallel domain that has its own geography and its own features to gain guidance to gain uh, learning to be well protected and uh, and to be taught in non-ordinary reality. So connection to nature as kind of like a key foundation of doing things mm-hmm. shamanistically. And so would that category include all sort of practices of the world that are, you know, things from druids to, uh, you know, Wicca to anything that's sort of like uh, indigenous sort of practice? Would that would shamanism kind of encompass all of that? Well, and I don't, I, I'm always hesitant to use one term as an umbrella term for lots of different diverse practices. And certainly I think the, the, the most ancient practices are the shamanic practices. They were some of the first kind of spiritual inquiries that humans invo- were involved with. And so I think many of these other practices that you name all have a, a common foundation as opposed to gathering them all up under a, um, an umbrella that I'd call shamanism. Right. So then you're tying into the natural world, uh, you're accessing, as you said, spirit guides, empower animals, then take me through some of the basic techniques that you use. What are some of the basic practices that you would do either on your own or together in a group? Mm -hmm. So the first practice is to learn how to do a shamanic journey and to uh, do it either alone or with a group. And the shamanic journey can be guided by you actually physically drumming to help taking you take you into a, a shamanic journey. So it, where are you mm-hmm. going on a shamanic journey? So you're, you're moving. So you're not going anywhere out of body. So it's a very deeply embodied practice. So you stay home in your body. You're not astral projecting or in any way moving out of your body. You're inviting a shamanic experience into an embodied state. And it's a direct experience uh, as opposed to a, an experience that is somehow brokered. So even when I'm doing a shamanic journey with someone as in a session where I'm offering healing services, I'm journeying for the person, but I'm also introducing them into journeying. So they're having their own journey. I'm having my own journey. And then we compare notes when we come out. And for some people, they go full blown into a, a shamanic journey their very first time, uh, particularly those people that have been involved with spiritual spiritual traditions over the years and for other people it takes a weekend workshop to learn so anyone can learn how to journey Uh, it just takes a little bit of skill development okay so i'm off on my first shamanic journey what could i expect or what what's the spectrum of experiences that can take place for someone in a journey 
And so a beginning experience would be having some bodily sensations, having some lights and colors and sometimes some animal presence, having a message come in. So it can come in through any of the senses. So for some people, they journey very visually. Other people, it's kind of auditory. Other people, it's very kinesthetic. They're running, flying, swimming in their journeys. Uh, Sometimes smells or senses or just a knowing will come in. So with the shamanic journey, we leave all of those sensory doors open so that it can come in in one or more sensory experiences. And so then a full-blown journey would be uh, creating an intent to go into, into uh, shamanic uh, non-ordinary reality. And the first stop is always lower world, which in shamanism is a very good place. It's not a bad place in shamanism. Even though it's lower, but lower, it's, you're, it's just... Direction or position, not necessarily a hierarchy. Exactly. And so lower world is a a very deeply embodied in Mother Earth. And so you're going into the lower world, often through an opening in in the earth. So a hole in the ground, an empty tree trunk, water, um, um, a cave. But again, this isn't something that you're doing, say, in so the literal physical way. This is something you would experience... uh, during the journey and and through intention so the driver is your intention so you're creating an intention to go into non-ordinary reality connected to the drumming you're creating a further intention to go into lower world which is an all-natural world so no buildings no people no vehicles just plants and and mountains and streams and water and animals and birds and the main reason for going first to the lower world is to connect with the power animal for guidance and protection so the two protective elements going into a journey is to use a smudge to create a safe space and to connect with the power animal so even if you don't know what it is you still create that intention so why would uh i need protection on a journey Mm -hmm. well and part of it is is that sometimes we can have an experience in a journey that's uncomfortable and if we know that we're protected we can hold that protection close and usually if there's trouble in a journey it's to do with ego and it's to do with some sort of a uh, um, an ego-based construction around this isn't good enough and I need to have it more dramatic or I need you know I want for something to happen or we're creating an attraction to uh, to negative energy energy right Um, so is it working on sort of the principle that everything's a mirror reflection that starts in my own internal world so what i'm going to experience is is a reflection of my internal landscape or is there say no there is this actual world be it the lower world or these other realms that i will be experiencing things from that what's that connection between me the journeyer and what i experience well and i think that it's both that certainly there is a reflection of your inner world but there's also an access to external knowledge and to me it's a description of all knowledge that ever was is now or ever will be so it is like the the uh, Universal uh, Library of Congress. In terms kind of like of the Akasha? Or? Well, and, and some people would call it the Akashic Records and others that uh, would name it something else. Uh, and uh, going into the lower world, connecting with, with Power Animal, going into Middle World, which is sort of the globetrotting world. So this morning I was journeying for someone in the Netherlands, and so we go into Middle World in order to connect at a distance. So particularly through COVID, a great deal of my practice was long distance, and 
uh, Middle World allows us to visit places that we've been to, places that we haven't been to, and have real experiences of having those those places in our energy. So again, we're not traveling so much as connecting to a place that's at a physical distance. And uh, and then the upper world, which is the third realm, is, uh, is more cloud-like. It doesn't have a lot of natural or built environment. And that's kind of where a lot of the spirit guides hang out al- along with uh, ancestors, grandmothers, grandfathers, uh, other kinds of faith or ceremonial circles can be encountered there as well. Okay, so to clarify, uh, first step where you often take people is the lower world, which is, say, is very natural, very earth-connected. So describe in a little bit more detail the middle world and say, like, the mapping of it and where is it and what are you experiencing in the middle world? Mm-hmm. So the middle world looks a lot like what's outside of our door. Uh, other, other than sometimes you can go kind of back or forward in time. So it doesn't necessarily have vehicles that are all current or, or houses that all look current. And it can be anywhere on the planet. And it can be a sense of, of kind of traveling, although you're in your body, you're, you're experiencing a notion of traveling. Or it can be that you're popping from one place to another. And uh, Would it always yeah. be on this planet or can you find yourself in other worlds, similar worlds? Yeah. Well, and and for me, most of the extraplanetary experience is in the upper world for me. And uh, and in that, the you know, literally the sky's the limit. That right. So middle world's now. here now. This is what we know. This is, it's a, it's very familiar to our world. Yeah. And what sort of uh, encounters or uh, messages or, you know, beings would one encounter in the middle world? So in the middle world, it mostly looks like humans or it looks like animals or trees or plants or birds or fish that sort of more or less normally exist. Um, Sometimes the laws of physics are defied somewhat in terms of vehicles flying or planes swimming or, you know, different animals occupying spaces or, uh, you know, moving around differently than they would otherwise. So that's part of the quirkiness of it in that it looks like what we'd see outside our doors, but not exactly. And, uh, and again, there's messages, there's experiences, there's visions. And, uh, and there's certainly lots of people who practice shamanism where they actually guide the journey. So we would, you know, I'd be drumming and then I'd be talking. You'd be like the bus driver. You'd be taking me on the, I'd be a passenger on the bus and you'd be taking me to various places. No. So that's how I, that's not how I operate. I teach you how to journey and I journey and then I drum for you. And then I guide and I'm there for but you. But I'm driving and, the bus. But you're my, driving the bus. It's my, your journey. Okay. So, I, so to me, I don't call those shamanic journeys. I call them guided visualization with drumming. And to me, that's not a pure shamanic journeying experience, although lots of people sell it as that. Okay. Well, let's let's stick with the pure uh, shamanic journey and experience. I just want to go back to say uh, the lower world, just getting the descriptions of these two, three worlds where you say it's very natural. Yeah. It's a very natural world. Now, would there be things in the lower world that would be out of place to say our understanding our and our experience in our natural world? Would there be animals that would be different or behaving differently? Or is there anything sort of 
yeah, nuance that we wouldn't mm-hmm. normally experience what we call in quote unquote reality that we normally yeah. deal with here. So I think that the quirkiness of the lower world is that sometimes you can have a zebra and a black bear hanging out or, you know, different animals or, or birds or fish that wouldn't necessarily uh, be in the same space and time or the same geographic location. Uh, and they might be for whatever reason sort of showing up together. And uh, and usually not a lot of reptiles or insects. Um, so those are, are not usual uh, power animals. And mm. uh, and so it, it is a power animal realm in that It's way. mostly mammals and mostly aquatic beings. Uh, and birds. And birds. Yeah. But not reptiles and insects. Yeah. Yeah. Do we all have like power animals or... Just some have multiple. Do we are we all connected in some way, and it's just a matter of discovering this? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we have uh, basically three levels of power animals. We have our character power animal that gives us some sense of our our core nature, and so usually we only have one uh, character power animal. And sometimes over the course of a life, it would shift, uh, but not usually. So it's very rare for a character animal to change. And then we have helper power animals that can be any number of birds, animals, fish, um, and some of them are generalists and some of them are specialists. So. So those of us that have been practicing for me 27 years this year, uh, I've got this 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 cast of uh, of helper power animals that show up for different reasons for in different ways. And then we're basically connected to all of nature. So that's one of the principles of shamanism. So in our introductory workshop, we teach power animal retrieval. And often someone who's doing the second or third journey of their life and they're panicked that they now have this huge responsibility of getting a power animal for someone else. And it's like, what if I get the wrong power animal? And the answer is there is no wrong power animal. We're connected to all of creation and just some are close relatives and some are more distant relatives. So, and that's your primary uh, messaging and information you get from the lower yeah. world. Yeah. Any tree beings, rock beings, any other elementals that are natural elementals there as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I've certainly had experience of of power trees, um, power plants, um, sometimes uh, essences of different kinds of of things will come through crystal essences or other kinds of essences. Sometimes instructions uh, that I have, I don't know anything about. Um, I remember at one point working with a very complex situation and I was told that I had to do a negotiation with the Andromeda High Council because he was basically a dual citizen of Andromeda and Earth and had never fully integrated into his Earth existence because he was afraid of losing home uh, in Andromeda. So I went into this whole journey discussion and negotiations and came out of it going, I wonder if it's a real thing and uh, got on the internet and found out absolutely it's a very real thing. So that's so not... you took this person, you helped this person journey into the lower realms to find some Earth you're gonna hey Andromeda and you're gonna hang out here for a while get down with some 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 earth energy absolutely and part of it is is if we're only half incarnated it can cause all kinds of problems and in her his case he was only half incarnated but he also had had a lot of soul depletion uh, for various reasons and uh, so it was a it was a difficult combination mm-hmm. okay lower world natural you got you got animals and other things as well middle world 
kind of like our what we would consider what we know as the day-to-day world reality very humans are the are the human form is where you're getting your information and messaging then what is the next one you said is it the upper the yeah so the upper world is where the spirit guides hang out and spirit guides are very very interesting because they can come in any form that you can imagine so they can be angelic beings they can be ancestors i have one that calls himself beacon that's just this flash of light and he's like a non-ordinary reality gps um we can have um different kinds of of nature divas or fairies or uh, elves or you know sort of all manner of beings and some of them look human some of them look otherworldly and galactic uh, beings are yeah, in that as well yeah, absolutely yeah. yeah yeah i uh, i had a wonderful encounter with some Atlanteans and uh, Lemurians and the Lemurians all turned up as black. So I have no idea whether people were black in Lemuria, but maybe they were. And, uh, and I have the Palladians come to visit every once in a while and they're into tattooing my energy with, uh, with the constellation from the outside in. And then they started with the inside out. And so I guess that's well, some kind Palladians of... Those are sneaky. They, they do lots of tricks. <laughs> Absolutely. And it was some kind of an adoption r- ritual. And so for me, I find it endlessly fascinating because every journey is different. And uh, I've never had two the same in all of these years. And, and endlessly creative in terms of what's brought. And sometimes very, very precise information that you could not have connected with in any way, shape or form. Um, and uh, remember once journeying for someone who'd lost their mother and what came was the bluebird of happiness and I'm sort of thinking oh my god you know I that's can't. cliche well it's cliche but also can I bring this grieving woman back the bluebird of happiness and and I was told in how the does it get better than that exactly and what it turned out is her mother had a kitchen full of bluebirds and she had bluebird teapots and she had bluebird linens and her, she had bluebird aprons. And that was a very, very precise symbol connected to her mother. I had no idea. But the journey was quite insistent that I bring back the bluebird of happiness. So the job of the shamanic practitioner is to experience the entire journey, to bring it back without adding, embellishing, analyzing it and and relating it. And um, So you're and- there with somebody... And if they're, it's their journey. So if you're with me, we're doing this together. I'm going through, I'm going to experience animals in the lower realm. I'm going to have messaging in the middle realm, but you're there. You're also, you, you, you sense that this is going on. Well, and and I'm doing my own journey, but there's crossovers. Mm. And so we're both in non-ordinary reality, um, but I'm not trying to track you. And there is a a particular way in which uh, there is a shamanic tracking method uh, whereby we can do hide and seek in in non-ordinary reality. But in the case of doing a session for someone, I'm setting up the journey and I'm holding space for the journey. And I'm there as, as intervening if need be, you know, in the event that added protection or whatever is needed but I'm not trying to drive their journey but I am journeying for them so often with the first journey we'll both come back and you'll get a little bit 
I'll get a lot. And then we'll talk about that and, uh, and talk about what's then the next step. And the next step is all the ceremonial work that is sometimes indicated out of the journey. So that includes a power animal retrieval or, or multiple retrievals, includes soul loss, uh, identification and recovery, uh, soul exchange and, and rewriting that. There's a, a soul exchange uh, uh, to write soul trading that's not helpful and sometimes there's soul thievery that needs to be uh, needs to be corrected and then there's a whole series of different extraction works uh, that may need be needed to deal with intrusions so that's all the the kind of ceremonial work that uh, that can come out of a journey okay so so we're on a journey and then this is the message the message might be you need to do some soul retrieval you need to connect deeper with this power animal you need to uh you mentioned you mentioned a few others there so why don't we just go through them each in in, in a little bit more detail Mm -hmm. so you get a message that says you must connect with this animal and you and and then you said the next step is you called it ceremony Mm -hmm. so what would that experience look like yeah so a power animal uh retrieval ceremony would be you kicking back uh, to into a recliner and uh, or on on the floor and me kneeling is my old uh, body position using a rattle to go back into journey to pick up the energy for the power animal that volunteered to be a helper for you or a character power animal and then I would capture that energy, blow it into your heart chakra, your crown, rattle around, close the crown, and then stroke your back and say, welcome, whatever it is. And that's the same ceremony for doing a soul retrieval. So with a soul retrieval, I might get a um, 19-year-old, and I might see some of what happened at 19 that would have caused the the, and this is just coming, you know, sort of intuitively that would have caused the, the soul loss. And sometimes I'm given details, sometimes not. Uh, and that it's a precise age, usually, where the soul retrieval is being. There was some uh, trauma, for, some fragmentation, we, mm-hmm. things split off. And, yeah. and, and it's and, like part of our life force wraps up the pain and takes it away. And then at some point, it's time to reintegrate it. Uh, but we also have to be willing to deal with whatever they bring back in terms of memories or mm-hmm. emotional processing or grieving. This lifetime or uh, could it be from other lifetimes? Usually the soul retrievals are from this lifetime. And sometimes we do get some information on past lives as well. And sometimes it's related uh, to soul loss in this lifetime. But usually the soul loss work is this lifetime. Okay. So are and then what were the other ones you described? Yeah. So soul trading and what happens there is that when we're engaged in a relationship with someone and it could be an intimate partner, it could be a sibling or a child, uh, where the loved one that we're focused on is depleted for whatever reason and we're feeling like we want to offer up some of our life force, some of our soul uh, to them to hold, help, help them out. And the problem is, is that something that belongs to us, when we give it away, it, it, it can no longer be used by that person. So we're depleted by that and they're burdened by it because they can Despite good intent, it. like this despite, is coming from despite, good intent, and yeah. but it's... Yeah. Kind of back to that stay in your own lane because you Uh, just kind of like screw things up if you kind of... 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so the soul exchange ceremony is about, I'm with, you know, gratitude, giving back any soul parts or life force that I'm holding of yours, and you're giving whatever you're holding of mine back to me. So it just sort of takes the stickiness or the Velcro out of the relationship and creates a smoothness. So it's not about pushing each other away. It's about recreating the nature of the bond um, between two people. So is one of the kind of baseline theories you're working with that we need to be whole and, you know, on our own, you know, like we need to be autonomous, we need to be sovereign, we need to have all our energies, you know, not being entangled with others and, Mm -hmm. you know, energetic cords and that sort of thing. Is that sort of like an archetype you're aiming to work with people absolutely and there's ways in which and the safest way to actually help someone out is to actually be a conduit of universal energy and then we offer it up so it's not like we're directing it but we're just sort of saying here if you're looking for a pool of energy let me help you access universal energy it's not mine doesn't have my energy stamp on it but I can help hold space for you and you can choose to access it or not so there's a lot of ethical considerations in shamanic practice and and my teacher Manfred was very very clear on ethics and part of it is is you don't go directing energy toward anyone without them asking or giving permission and the only exception is if someone's in a coma or is a very small child then someone can ask on their behalf uh, for the shamanic journey so it is in that way a, a very private practice and and certainly his ethic was you don't go around saying here i'm a shamanic practitioner i'm here to help you or i can't help you or any of the rest of it me as the journeyer i'm having the experience i'm doing the work yeah yeah but i'm also doing work for you so you're having your own experience but then i'm bringing back what i can access for you and it's really about uh your highest self your wisdom speaking to me through journey uh in a way that i can then bring that back so i just have more skill just because i've been doing it longer and so i can access things that you may not be able to access Yeah, if we could all tap into our higher selves, what a great world this would be. That's why we need so much work. For some reason, we're trapped in this lower, I don't want to give it hierarchy or anything, but this place where we are is one of great illusion and delusion that we find ourselves in. (laughs) And we need some help. Absolutely, absolutely. And then there's a third concept in soul loss, and it's about soul thievery. And that's where someone actually accesses our life force through some kind of power and control or abusive dynamic without our permission. And so those are the people that sometimes people will call energy vampires or people who you spend some time with and you leave sort of feeling like an empty paper bag. Uh, And you can often feel the depletion in that exchange. And uh, and it's one of the things that will actually an unresolved soul thief, meaning someone who has not given back those soul parts to the people that, you know, are the rightful owners of those soul parts. It can actually impede them when they die. And so I've encountered soul thieves that are stuck and not able to make their transition uh, to the to the next life uh, with because they haven't released the soul parts that they've stolen. So to me, there's only two things that impede that transition. 
uh, and that's a civil thief that hasn't, you know, given back what they stole. And this is transition at end of life transition. End of life, yeah. And the other thing is confusion, that sometimes if it's an unexpected or accidental death, it takes the soul a bit of time to... Um, um, to figure out, you know, what it needs to do next. And so there is a whole practice in shamanism, and I do, I'm involved in that practice of the death walker practice and helping people prepare, and then also sort of helping to make sure that they get across and settle in. Just getting a sense of you sometimes say ceremonial work, and sometimes you're saying journeying. So the structure of a session is that we'd spend some time at the beginning of a session talking about what's up in your life. So that's the con, it's the shamanically inspired conversation, because sometimes there will be an intuitive hit or a question that'll come through or an insight that will come through in that conversation, but that's in ordinary reality. And then we gather up through that conversation um, some areas of focus for the journey. I give you instruction on how to do a shamanic journey and then we enter the journey. You have your experience and with me holding space for that experience, I have my experience. And then, so that usually runs about 10, you know, sometimes 15 minutes, the journey. And it's the drumming and we're, we're right. doing and, our thing. And just so I'm clear, when we go into the journey, there's the lower, the middle and the upper realm. Yeah. Would we go through them all or maybe I'm just led to be in say the middle world or someplace yeah. like that so your journey is your journey and the only instruction I give you is to do with connect with your power animal through you know first to create the intention to go into non-ordinary reality to create a further intention to go into the lower world connect to your power animal I've given you the geography lesson have fun so I don't direct the journey in terms of, you know, you need to visit all three levels. It's that sense of your intention, then you you create the exploration you choose to recreate. And if you doze off or if you just have a bunch of, you know, lights and flashing color and some smells. And so the journey is kind of a beginning journey. Uh, that's good. And it's fine. And and then I have a rich journey that I bring back and and that gives us lots to work with. And so it's and and that's sometimes what can really impede a journey is if there's kind of performance anxiety in terms mm. of it's got to be big, you know, and sometimes it's big and sometimes it isn't. Yeah. And, and for some people, it takes longer to, to learn how to journey. For me, the first time I, I agreed to sponsor a workshop before I even knew it was, what it was. And then I thought, oh, my God, you know, people are going to be phoning me out asking me what this is. And I have no idea. So I was out in Saskatoon and went over to a New Age bookstore and bought just a little drumming. Uh, it was a cassette deck. That's how long ago it was. And threw the drumming into and went full blown into a full journey and came out of it going, the hell but i was also a meditator and were I, you driving uh, no well, you, you didn't put it in your car what one of the lessons or <laughs> is that you never put on a drumming tape when you're when you're driving absolutely unless it's a traffic jam yeah, yeah you know for you're sure there, you're there for a while let's just talk about ceremony that there's the that now out in the world it's a common term people talk about doing ceremony uh yeah it's you know compared to 30 40 years ago it's pretty mainstream idea so what does ceremony mean to you mm -hmm. and what are some of the principles of ceremony 
Well, and to me, the biggest principle is intent, that it's not something we play with. It's something that we have a, uh, and it doesn't have to be heavy, but there needs to be a clear intent in terms of the purpose of this ceremony. So it's a ritual. You're doing some sort of, you're doing 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 some ritual. Exactly. And in, in a shamanic ritual or ceremony, there would always be elements. So fire or water or earth, uh, sometimes all four represented. Um, Physically, like you have a burning candle or a fire and you have these items with you. Exactly. Exactly. And, and to me, part of what, what is neat about now is that, that ceremony or ritual doesn't have to come out of a book and it doesn't have to be sort of blessed or, or, you know, sort of ordained by any particular faith. Because the dogma of lineages and things like that is kind of rear view mirror a little bit. Exactly. So, so to me, ceremony invites direct experience, and it doesn't have to be brokered. You don't need to get permission from someone to do to do ceremony. You but can, you need yeah. the intent. And you need sort the intent. Of, and the power of that intent yeah. is that yeah. what drives it? Yeah, absolutely. And and you you can uh, like I've done lots of marriages. I'm a marriage commissioner, and one of my questions with a couple that want to get married is, do you want paraphernalia or not? Like, do you want the smudge and you want the drum and you want shamanic trappings or not and so it doesn't matter because the intent is uh, bringing uh, that spiritual intent to the ceremony so you don't need the trappings so a ceremony can be a conversation with an element on a walk in the bush it doesn't have to have trappings it doesn't have to have but do the trappings yeah. help is it helpful to burn sage as an yeah. example absolutely well and to me it's it's a fundamental uh, setting of energetic space that you're creating a safe space uh, using sage so the two kind of uh, safety precautions in shamanism is to burn smudge. And if I'm in a hotel room somewhere in downtown Toronto where you can't burn smudge, I'll always have it with me and I'll just rub it between my fingers and create what I call the intention of smudge. And I'll smell it. I'll make sure the person I'm working with it smells it. And and so you're creating, and again, your intention is the most important thing. And, and Manfred got to a place, you know, after practicing for many, many years that you know, it really boiled down to even the drum was optional. And uh, and for me now, I've done so much of this work. All I have to do is move my wrist and go straight into journey because it's so embedded in my energy. Fabulous description and fabulous uh, insight into the whole world of the shamanic journeying and the practice and the ceremony. And it taking place now in this, you know, early 21st century, where we are, where there's a lot of, oh, concepts flying around there, ascension, uh, you know, the earth, humanity, up-leveling, you know, the veils are thinned, energy's ripping around, lots of people can feel it and are practicing it in many different ways, experiencing it, Um this is one of them. There's people turning to shamanic practices all over the world. What messages are you getting from spirit guides? What's happening to us collectively, individually, the earth, the planet? What are you seeing that's going on mm-hmm. in the here and the now? Well, we have lots of opportunities for learning. 
and uh, the curriculum isn't always what we would have hoped or expected. But do you and, think that curriculum yeah. or the opportunities have like intensified at the moment? Is there, is it, you know? Absolutely. And, and, and I, I believe that with the intensity of the challenge, even if we look at the epidemic or we look at uh, what's happened uh, with American politics over the last year, just various kinds of really serious global challenges. Um, and we, I, I also believe that we have that access to that wisdom and the knowledge and the ancient and modern practices. Do we have more access now or has it always kind of been about the same or, or is that sort of intensifying? No, I, I believe in this notion of, um, of kind of a thinner veil and how Manfred put it um, was that we don't need to suffer quite as much as we did at one time. And so, you know, at one time, you know, as Indigenous people, a lot of us, well, we all had Indigenous lives. We needed the sweat lodge and we needed the vision quest and we needed the Sundance. And, and that involved a lot of physical challenge and suffering in order to have the spiritual breakthroughs, where now I think the veil is thinner. And I think that those spiritual breakthroughs are um, are available to us without that degree of physical deprivation and suffering. Um, but we still all many of us invite suffering into our lives in all kinds we of love ways. it that's kind of what this third dimensional you know uh, yeah and trips uh, all about yeah, absolutely and and i think that uh you know that that you know that that it's part of human life that that suffering is part of human life but i think some of it is optional and uh i think some of it we, or the old time, saying is Pain is inevitable, suffering's optional. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mind you, one of the quotes that I love is somebody asked the Dalai Lama at one point, why is there so much suffering in the world? And his response was, there's this much suffering in the world so that we can learn compassion. Because without the suffering, we wouldn't need compassion. So if we can actually find a compassionate response to our own suffering and to the suffering of others, that's about you know the highest evolution that we can get to as humans. So I don't think any of us will ever be in quotes ascended to the point where we're just tripping around in bliss all the time and if so i'm not sure we're still on this planet uh, or that we need to be still on this planet uh and uh so i'm quite happy to be still slogging through the muck with the rest of us and and it really is about how can we help each other uh, how can we you know give a hand to someone and to me that's what practice is all about is just being there for one another and uh and today it was the mother and uh, a four-year-old that came and we just had some snacks and had some fun and some play and you know, sort of uh, watered the the lawn six times and got the child all wet, and it was it was a ceremony in and of itself. It was playful and it was uh, it was beautiful. So I think we have all kinds of ways and experiences that can be meaningful in our lives. Are you seeing more people now taking, say, the spiritual approach? I think I think so. And part of it's just the community that I hang out in, you know, that people don't often come for sessions if they're not interested in a spiritual, you know, sort of uh, uh, add on or, you know, solution or path in their lives. And, uh, 
And so I don't spend a lot of time down at the 98 or somewhere where there's probably people that are on other paths and doing other things. And uh, so I think my sample is not a fair and reasonable sample of what's going on in the world. Uh, but I also think that uh, that there are people that are really, really confused. And there's people, um, I read something recently about how we can we can approach life to bring meaning to our, our life, but we can also, through our cynicism and through our judgment, we can rob our life of meaning. Um, and and so to me, again, that's about intention. Do we do we seek meaning and do we find gratitude and we do we bring that richness to our lives? Or do we say none of it matters and it's all crap and the world's going to hell in a basket and we take that cynical approach and literally rob our lives of meaning. And so I thought it was interesting because I never think about meaning as being a choice. And it is. Do you see us sort of like holding the course as humans in the way we've lived for the past five, 10,000 years? Or do you see some bigger shifts going on? Um just collectively as humans at this time? Uh, I believe that we are going through a big shift. And part of my hope is in the the next generation. It's the 30-something-year-olds and it's my grandchildren. And they're coming in as humans version 2.0. And they're coming in with a higher ethical standard around uh, human interaction around the planet. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be as destructive as our generation was. I think that they just have a capacity to be that much more loving. So I just have all kinds of hope. And the young people that I hang out with, um, as my daughter, who's in her 30s, says, Mom, you're so weird. People think you're cool. And if that attracts and the shamanic practice attracts a really, really diverse group of young people, which I just adore because it, it teaches me so much. And uh, and uh, and that's where the hope resides for me, that I'm not sure that, you know, some of us old dogs can learn a whole bunch of new tricks. But I think we can hold doors open and we can bring our life experience to the younger people who will save us, I believe. You know, we all have that uh you know, different gifts that we can bring and uh, and to try and figure that out and to bring what we can. And uh, some of us have, have, you know, certain things that we can bring and others not. And it's really about that intention to serve. And, and one of the things that I was reading recently is that the heart actually uh, feeds itself first before it takes circulation anywhere else in the body. And so if we think about that as the principle uh, that we serve and make sure that our growth is fed first, that our livelihood and our life is fed, uh, then that gives us this, that uh, long-term sustainability to be able to help others. And uh, and so for that's been a big lesson in my life uh, to learn how to actually reserve some of that uh, that juice in life for myself and to to feed my interests and needs in order to make sure that I'm there and available for others. And uh, and that's, I think, a really important uh, principle that we're, we're both to we're both supposed to savor our lives as well as serve others and not allow that to to come into imbalance. So shamanic work, what you call shamanic practice, and uh, its goals isn't that uh, it's not that different than other spiritual practices. We try to find our mission. We're trying to find out what we're here to do. We're trying to heal. So what's your take then, non-ordinary reality? What is ordinary reality? Or is that is that even 
is that an illusion in itself that we kind of lock ourselves into this thing, quote unquote, mm-hmm. this is reality. And, yeah. and then you're taking people into the non-normal reality, but is it really any different or is one better than the other? Is there even a mm-hmm. normal? Well, I, I don't think anything is normal. I think it's all energy and it's, and it is all subject to perception. And I was working with a, with a person recently who's a, a very evolved being and uh, with some really, you know, wild uh, sort of a wildness to her spirit, to her soul. And she brought in a new spirit guide and it was the keeper. It was a, it was about transmutation. It was about alchemy, but it was the keeper of the field of arising. And the field of arising is where energy becomes matter. So if you're actually recognizing that everything is energy and matter arises from energy, as opposed to the other way around, it means that it's all, you know, sort of, if not an illusion, it certainly is ever moment to moment, it's arising. And it means it's highly manageable. It's highly manipulated. It's liquid. It's a lot more liquid than we give it credit. Absolutely. But also that our intention then becomes everything. Because uh, and and also our action has a, a reaction. So I've always had this sense that what we bring, what we say, what we think, and our words and our thoughts and our actions have consequences. It, it has a response. We put good stuff out there, the good stuff comes back. We put bad stuff out there, the bad stuff comes back. But now we're in a place where it actually amplifies. And so in the energetic realms. Absolutely. And so it's coming back way faster than I was when I was a young woman. And uh, so you're saying now this time period that we're living in, the energies are amplified. So it is happening. That happens quicker. That happens faster. And it almost happens before. Uh, the intent goes out. So it's, it's so the, even the time space stuff around, well, it used to be, I put bad stuff out there, it goes and it trickles around and, you know, for three years, it might come back where now it's even, it's, it's not already. even out the door and it's happened already and it's been amplified. So, so that, that ability to, and I think that's part of human evolution that it used to be that we were driving old Pontiacs where we had lots of play in the steering wheel and we could be reckless with our intention and our, and our energies and our karm, you know, karmic kind of actions. Where now we're driving a sports car that our evolution has had. Formula One race car. We're, yeah. we're, we're ripping around the track at 300 yeah. clicks. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no play in the steering wheel. Like there's not as much room to be reckless in our thoughts, words, and actions that we need to be more intentional. And, and we just get to be more responsible in our thoughts, words, and actions when we have a spiritual practice that gives us some support and some guidance because we're human we screw up all the time but we screw up less if we're grounded if we're embodied and if we actually have helpers working with us to be the best that we can be in that moment so we're in a time where it's going faster and we have to take a little bit more care and we have to be a little bit more precise and on the ball Absolutely, because the shrapnel that we're creating for ourselves and others is just... There's more even now in this high energy time. So you're saying the recklessness and what it creates, the shrapnel, so to speak, there's more of that. The explosions and the the impact is is higher as well. I would say so, yeah. So, dang, then what 
other than practice, other than being grounded, being present, um, what else can we be doing now to negotiate this time period that, that we're in, this high uh, energy uh, period of human existence? Well, to me, it's a lot about spiritual community and surrounding yourself by people who are going to tell you the truth when you're screwing up. Or, or help you to, to get into a place that's actually working for you, for you so that you can, with support, navigate life. So I don't think we're meant to try and do all of this by ourselves. We're meant to have our spiritual community here and our spiritual community in ordinary reality, our power animals and our spirit guides and our ancestral guides and our elves and our fairies and our whole Pleiadians and whoever shows up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to recognize there's an intelligence uh, that's a loving intelligence that guides us in that realm and that we are now committed to direct experience of our own spiritual life, that we don't need a, a broker, we don't need a We don't need a man. priest, we don't need yeah. an imam or a, somebody to tell us yeah. to go to this yeah. building on this day and exactly. say these things that we are becoming yeah. a little more sovereign and responsible uh, that that takes responsibility. That's a new shift. Uh, it seems like we're making then with yeah. that because we used to put that responsibility on the church or that person tell us what to do. That's all I got to do. I show up at this building, say these prayers, and now it's a very personal journey that it's yeah. requires a bit more commitment yeah. and uh, and uh, responsibility. Yeah. But all the responsibility, all the power, as a good friend of mine yeah. often says. Absolutely. And recognizing that we're also in human form with all of the the, the challenges that that is. You know, so it's going to be rough around the edges no matter what you do. And interesting. Yeah. Never boring. And also the reason that we build spiritual community is so in those points of confusion and in an experience that we are having a hard time processing or understanding, we have someone to go to that can help us figure it out and sort it out and integrate it. And uh, and so that's the old ro role of clergy to some extent in its finest form was to is to be there for guidance and solace and helping you figure th things out. And the most humble of people who carry those roles through many, many eons of, of, uh, of humanity carried them, um, you know, ethically and responsibly, and they served a real purpose in our community. But then it, because it became a concentration of power, there was a corruption that occurred, not necessarily at the same level and in, in the same way throughout the various faiths. But, uh, you know, there's the old saying that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And so I think that's part of the confusion as humanity writ large that we're involved in is that we just can't trust those 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 institutions to be spiritual uh, and to give us the guidance and give us the solace and give us the 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 ethical sort of support that we're seeking. So I was raised in a Christian church and uh, and I continued that even after I came to Whitehorse and and ended up on the governing body and I discovered that it was more political and more bloodthirsty than what I was experiencing in the bureaucracy uh, at a pretty senior level. And it was like, I don't want to do this on Sunday and call it my spiritual life. Like this is man-made, this is human-made, and it has all of the failings of that. And it's lost literally in that case, the spirit of Christ. So I still work very, very closely in my shamanic practice with Christ energy, which is beautiful. And some of the pow most powerful, purest energy that I've worked with. But it, it has nothing to do with church and it has nothing to do with the human built institution. 
It's time for humans to be free again. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 in that, there is a responsibility for some discipline because we can't be both free, powerful, or all three free, powerful, and reckless. That with the freedom and with the power and with the clarity comes that that sense of discipline. Um, and I can't be reckless anymore, gay. Yeah. Well, you can in some areas of your life, just in other areas of our life. So we need to be more careful. The recklessness, as you say, the shrapnel of my own journey becomes, I've noticed it. it's not appealing anymore, the shrapnel and uh, taking the flack. And yeah. it's like, it's my own intention has been to reduce that to be yeah. smoother and cleaner in this journey. And um, I am enjoying it. The piece of it, yeah. recklessness was fun, you know, sloppiness, <laughs> recklessness, being young. But uh, I, I appreciate the smoother, less shrapnel um, flow. Mm, absolutely. And to recognize that we also have an amazing human capacity to spread gold dust and fairy dust and, and star dust with us as well. That just like we have this potential to create harm, we also have the intention to bring or our, our capacity uh, to bring love and to bring transformative uh, beauty into the world. And so as human beings, we have all of that. And it's really about, okay, you know, we have free will. That if we want to use our free will to turn our back on our helpers, to turn our back on creation, to turn our back on the planets, to turn our back on creator, then the world just says, okay, go ahead. You know, if that's your path, you just go ahead. Or if we want to use that free will to make connection that is going to serve us, then creator and creation is right there and it's got our back but it's not going to invade us that if we use our free will to create isolation, that will be respected. Freedom. It's time for humans to be free. Yes. Yeah. My t-shirt says does not do well in captivity. <laughs> Absolutely. And for those curious, um, uh, the work that you do that many others are doing out there in the shamanistic realms um, can be a very useful vehicle. So thanks for the insight. Uh, I've learned a lot. Uh, appreciate your candidness and openness about what uh, you do out there in the world. So thanks again. It's been a wonderful mm -hmm. chat, Gay. Well, and thank you so much for the opportunity, Chris. Thanks for tuning into the Magnetius Dimension. Thanks for choosing ease over efforting. Thanks for choosing, intuiting, and feeling your way through this world instead of just thinking this damn joint through. We can all learn some new tricks, and this whole place is going to be better for it. Thanks to my guest, Gay Hansen, Blue Flowing Water Woman. What wonderful insight into the world of shamanic practice, journeying, and ceremony, and just wisdom of life in this moment. That was such a treat. If you'd like to connect, that would be lovely. McNuttiest is all you need to know. McNuttiest on Instagram, McNuttiest on Facebook. You want to send me an email, you can send it to yo, that's Y-O-Yo, at McNuttiest.com. I'm Chris McNutt. 
Thanks for tuning in to the McNuttiest Dimension. We'll catch you next time. McNuttiest.